When I think of dim sum or yum cha, hmm, I grew up in Whitehorse, Yukon, so there were no dim sum restaurants. So I think of family gatherings in Vancouver or San Francisco or Hong Kong. And the laughter, the togetherness, the connection. I think of the scurry carts moving through the restaurant, the chatter. And when I think of the food, these packages of delectable deliciousness and so much flavor, the hakao, the siwamai, the rice rolls with shrimp, the umami of the soy sauce, and the oiliness, the glutinousness, just such incredible memories of comfort and special times with people that I love. That's what I think of when I think of dim sum. Welcome back and Happy New Year. I hope you had a great holiday filled with good food and drink with a minimum of awkward family conversation. Speaking of togetherness, today's episode, which is episode 10, is dedicated to one of the most special and unique communal dining experiences and one that is very special to me. We're talking about dim sum today. My name is Jade Alcoro and you're listening to the Aimless Cook Podcast. Now, if you're not already familiar with dim sum, let me give you a little background. The term dim sum means touch the heart, and it refers to the small servings of food that are offered to diners as a way to just hit the spot, as opposed to a family-style meal full of full-size dishes. Now, dim sum dishes are often steamed or fried for ease and convenience, and were offered to travelers in tea houses along the Silk Road in Guangzhou as far back as the Song Dynasty, which was 960 to 1279 AD. At this time, dim sum was evolving and becoming a distinct culinary tradition. However, it wasn't until the Ming Dynasty from 1368 to 1644 AD that dim sum's cultural essence began to bloom truly. Tea houses became vibrant social hubs. They attracted a diverse clientele from scholars and poets to merchants and locals, kind of like coffee houses. The Ming Dynasty also saw the formalization of dim sum as a culinary art, with the chefs experimenting and perfecting recipes. On that note, dim sum chefs are often the unsung heroes in the story of this culinary cultural phenomenon. Now, as a chef, I give props to those who dedicate so much time and effort to commit to a craft that is so specialized like dim sum. Many chefs who do this undergo training, which often involves culinary education, in addition to apprenticeships and on-the-job training. Think about it. Specific skills like dough preparation and dumpling folding and creating all of the fillings and doing all of the many styles as fast, efficiently, and consistently as possible. And I see a lot of parallels when it comes to the type of skills and dedication required to pull off a cooking style such as dim sum and the commitment required and expected for any other fine dining chef who makes dishes that are often 10 times the price. But that, as I often say, is the topic for another episode. Now, as dim sum continued to evolve, it became associated with yum cha, which means literally drink tea. 
And as we heard from Andre O at the beginning of the episode, Yum Cha involves gathering for tea and dim sum and creating a unique dining experience that emphasizes both the culinary and social aspects of the meal. A lot of fond memories have been made around this tradition, some of which we're going to hear in this episode. It was also believed to some that dim sum was the origin of brunch. I have some very fond memories growing up, celebrating the Chinese New Year, having dim sum with my family. We would always go to Victoria, B.C., Chinatown, and that's one of the oldest Chinatowns in Canada, which is crazy. Such a cool spot. We'd always go to Don Mee's upstairs. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's so good. My family would always go. Sometimes we'd drag my grandparents along or some other family members. Um, now that I'm older, we try and go whenever I can make it back to Victoria. It's kind of a little tradition of ours. Uh, nice way to get out and hang out with the fam and enjoy really good food. Even though I'm gluten-free, that's the only time I cheat fully is for dim sum. Yeah, I just love dim sum. Hey Jay, this is Derek, uh, DGK1969 on Instagram. Some of my favorite dim sum memories uh, certainly came as a Canadian-born Chinese guy uh, with my parents growing up and going to dim sum on weekends. But in more recent memory, it's the opportunity to share that knowledge as I, that I had growing up with families and friends and relatives that might not have had that experience. So whether it's the, the snap of a delicious ha gao or uh, introducing them to the hamsui gawker or meat footballs has been an eye-opener for them and definitely uh, fantastic for me to be able to expose them to those kinds of foods and the deliciousness that is dim sum. Thanks. Now at this time, I usually do a, a little restaurant review, and today will be no different. There are some great places for dim sum in Calgary, and the one I'm talking about today has been getting a little attention on socials lately since its recent renovation. And I'm talking about Calton's Chinese Restaurant. On any given weekday around noon, the recently renovated Calton's Chinese Restaurant is a great place for dim sum. Located off McKnight Boulevard and 4th Street Northeast, Calton's offers three reasons to visit. Three great reasons to visit. Chinese grandma approved food, free ample parking, and a 488 special on 16 of the most popular types of dim sum until 2 p.m. from Monday to Friday. Breakfast staples like the classic soy sauce chow mein, chong fun, jok, and yo tao are all here. Chicken feet, yes. If you're still lingering near the end of lunch, strategizing your Asian exit while your siblings keep grandma busy, the servers will sometimes offer up any leftover buns or dantat for a dollar. The food isn't the fancy offerings of Golden Sands with their truffle scallop and shrimp shumai, the carrot-shaped tamsu gok or wugok swans, but that's perfectly fine with me. If Golden Sands is the Dean House, then Calton's is the John's Breakfast. The offerings are solid, the service is efficient, and effort-free parking is a definite plus. Calton's is located at 5010 4th Street Northeast. This is Joanne from Hung's Noodles. We are a fresh doodle manufacturer here in Calgary, and you can find us on Instagram at hungs.noodles. Man, favorite dim sum. I would say definitely chicken feet. Um, duck tongue is right up there too, even though 
it's impossible to find nowadays. If anybody knows where I can find it, please send me a message. Zhalong, uh, which is the Chinese donut wrapped in the rice crepe. Bonus points if the donut is also stuffed with either fish or shrimp. I had an amazing mushroom truffle uh, dumpling out in Vancouver once that I still think about. And then on the days I'm feeling really bougie, I'll order a guntong uh, gao. So that was, of course, Joanne from Hung's Noodles telling us about her favorite types of dim sum. And I want to go over some of the uh, most common types of dim sum. So this is kind of a field guide of sorts. And uh, like I said at the beginning of the episode, a lot of these are either steamed or fried. And we're going to cover, you know, some of the most common types that you're going to find in your favorite restaurant. One of the most popular ones is the hakao or the shrimp dumpling. And these are delicate, translucent wrappers. And they encase the succulent shrimp. And essentially the filling is a combo of two, two textures of shrimp. It's usually like a coarse ground and then one that's almost like chunks. And they're combined in order to give you a cohesive filling that also gives you that incredible snap. And when you have it in the perfect ratio, it's simply awesome. You bite into it and they almost pop. True dim sum classic. The other one is shumai or uh, pork dumpling or uh, pork and shrimp or variations of. It could be just seafood. Um, these are the open top dumplings. And they have, of course, a sa savory filling of ground pork and shrimp. Often they're topped with a whole shrimp or a scallop or fish roe. Now this one is particularly a popular type of shumai and has very many regional variations throughout the world. In the Philippines, it's very popular. It's called shaomai. And in Hawaii, it's called pork hash. And in Australia, they make them, they're slightly longer or taller, the way you look at it, and they're deep fried. And they call them dim sims. So they really took on a form of their own in Australia. Uh, char siu bao is another type. This is the, of course, the famous barbecue pork buns. And these are usually steamed, it dim sum because of the steamers. Uh, of course, at a Chinese bakery, you can find them baked. But these are fluffy steam buns. They're filled with that sweet and savory barbecue pork with that nice ratio of fat and lean with a, enough sauce. And it's just, yeah, a must try. My daughter always gets those. She loves those. Next one is chong fun or the rice noodle rolls. These are the flat sheets of thin silky rice noodle and they're rolled around various fillings like beef, um, shrimp, beef and cilantro, shrimp and cilantro, even dried shrimp like the small tiny dried shrimp and scallion. That's one of my favorites and they're usually drizzled with a savory soy based sauce. And then what they do is they just bring them to the table and they slice them up with scissors and you go hard. They're very delicious. Another one is Xiaolong Bao. This is the soup dumplings, steam dumplings. These are very thin skin dumplings. And the craft at making these dumplings is very, it's a very skillful art. The fillings are made with a combination of pork, 
as well as a gelatinized stock, which at the time is put in cold, so it's gelatin. And then when it is steamed, they become hot. And then the stock, of course, melts back into a hot soup. And then when you get them, you're very careful to put them onto your spoon, uh, poke a small hole in, and then sip from the, the, the dumpling itself. So don't put the whole thing in your mouth because it's going to be scalding hot. But they're very good. They're probably the first thing that you should eat when you order dim sum. So if you're lucky enough to find Xiaolongbao on your menu, get those first and eat them first because they're delicious. So the last one is one that took me the longest to appreciate, and that is turnip cake or lobako. And basically lobako is a daikon, shredded daikon, which is set into a cake. It is sliced and it is pan fried. And often there are little chunks of lop chong or dried shrimp and, and scallion that is put in there, there as well for a little bit of umami punch. And basically, yeah, like it said, it's made with shredded ra uh, daikon and rice flour. And it's very comforting. And I'm going to tell you about a variation of this dish later on when I talk about another place. But those are the top ones. And of course, not on this list that Joanne mentioned before, which is one of my favorites too, is the Phoenix Claw or chicken feet. Chicken feet is not for everyone, of course. Not everyone likes the chicken feet. And I think it's mostly because of the fact that it's a very tactile dish. It involves a lot of uh, work. It involves a lot of, you know, chewing around tiny bones to get every kind of morsel of the collagen and the skin and all of those wonderful things off the chicken feet. And this is why they're so good. This is kind of one of those examples of, of the Asian kind of preferences for textures as opposed to Western. And I think with Asians, it's a lot of different varieties of textures. And one of those things is things like collagen, tendons, cartilage. Like this is all stuff we love so much and that I really appreciate. So chicken feet is one of those things. And when it's done really well, they're so, so good. So as we savor the world of dim sum, I think it's important to appreciate the cultural nuances that accompany a tradition like this. So let's delve into a few simple rules of dim sum etiquette. Now, of course, like any other kind of Chinese family style experience, Dim sum is a communal affair. So, you know, we share the dishes with our fellow diners. And of course, don't hesitate to ask for a serving spoon or fork if you need them. Tea is an integral part of the dim sum experience as well. And uh, showing appreciation for your companions by pouring their tea is something that is commonly done. Like we never pour our own tea. And basically, when you tap the table lightly with your two fingers while someone's pouring your tea, it's a gesture that signals your thank you. So just tapping your fingers on the table like that when they pour is a sign of gratitude. Now, with ordering, be mindful of the pace. Don't overwhelm the table with too many dishes at once. And basically, allow everyone to kind of enjoy each dish before ordering more. Now, this is something that 
when you're with a bunch of friends, you kind of know what each other likes. So we always kind of have an idea of what we're going to order and how many dishes per person is good in order to have enough food and maybe have a little bit to take home. But I mean, usually the, the rule of thumb is like two, two dishes per person would kind of be right. And it's good if you're with like a group of maybe four or five or more, because then you get to really try a lot of stuff. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Try new things and you might be surprised. So chopstick etiquette. Now chopstick etiquette, um, a lot of this stuff is taught from very young. And, uh, and it's a lot of common stuff. Like when using chopsticks, of course, don't um, point with your chopsticks. Don't play drums. Don't tap on the tea cups. And of course, do not use the end of the chopsticks that you use in your mouth to take from the dishes on the table. Now, that's kind of a flexible rule, too. I find that if you're with your friends and stuff and you're all, you know, buds, then it can be flexible. But usually, if you're with people you don't know, you turn your chopsticks around and use the broad end of the chopsticks to as the serving chopsticks if there isn't a utensil available. So when using chopsticks, one of the big no-nos is sticking them up right in a bowl of rice as it looks like incense at a funeral. Um, the same thing goes with passing food one person to another with chopsticks. Don't do that because that's in some funeral rituals, that's how they pass bones of the dead. So it's very much a big no-no. Um, of course, if there is a host, if there is someone who is the one who invited you, who organized the get-together, they usually will take the lead in ordering. And a lot of the times, like when you're with your friends or whatever, you know, it's pretty like chill. I mean, we all, we just kind of know what each other likes. And, but usually one person is, is doing the most of the ordering. And it just makes for an easier experience, for sure. And usually wait for them to start before you start eating. And once you're finished, of course, you place your chopsticks across your bowl or plate, which signals to the server that you're done, and then they can take your dishes. Now, a lot of these are just like a few of the basic etiquettes that we kind of go over, you know, as with any kind of you know, Chinese dinner experience. One of the greatest perks of working in the hospitality industry is that our days off are often on days like Monday or Tuesday and never on the weekends. Now, if you're one of these types of folks who find yourself in the same boat, whether you're like a registered nurse or a shift worker or whatever, let's take a moment to bask in the glory of never knowing what waiting in line for a crowded brunch or leaving your name with the host at a dim sum restaurant feels like. I suppose it's one positive thing that we can take away from being in an occupation that often sacrifices our social lives and family time. Now, there was a time I remember when I didn't work weekends and I was working a corporate job and I recall feeling like a sucker on Saturday afternoons waiting for a table at Regency Palace with hundreds of other lemmings as we bided our time by trying to keep our toddlers from actually going into the koi pond in the lobby. But... Those days are long gone. 
My kids are mostly grown, two of them coincidentally working in the same industry as me, and I'm enjoying the fact that there are so many great choices in this city for good dim sum without the hassle of finding parking in Chinatown or waiting in line for a table like I was trying to score the latest Nike drop. So I'm going to go over five of the places that I go to a lot now. And the first one, of course, Zach mentioned on the show about pop-ups is You and Me. Now, You and Me is in Chinatown. The great spot, the great thing about You and Me is that it's open late night. It's open till 3 a.m. And this is very popular, of course, with people who work at restaurants in, in downtown who need somewhere to go after work. And it's open late. That's what I could say. They have a solid choice of dim sum. And uh, yeah, it's open late. What else can you say? The other ones, if you are a little bit fancier, is Golden Sands. Now, Golden Sands is located on Center Street North off of, I believe, McKnight. And they do a lot of in-house dim sum, a lot of wonderful dishes. One of the ones I'd like to mention is their truffle seafood shumai. And what I really like about this dish is that the truffle in this case is something that really complements seafoods well, especially scallops. And with this one, it is topped with this huge meaty scallop and it has like a little bit of this truffle on top. And when it comes to your table, it just smells awesome. It's so good. But Golden Sands, try it. The next one is, of course, the one I talked about earlier in the episode, which is Calton's Chinese Restaurant. And they are, of course, I said, located on the corner of 4th Street, Northeast, and McKnight. And what I like about this place is not only has been recently renovated, but the parking is very easy. You park right there. They have a big parking lot. It's free. You don't have to go hunting around like you would do in Chinatown. And they also have a really great, solid selection of dim sum, including, like I said before, the 16 items that are on a 488 special. One of the dishes that I'd like to highlight from this experience is their stuffed eggplant. Now, the stuffed eggplant is a whole eggplant that they slice up, and it's stuffed with seafood, like ground-up shrimp. And it is topped with that Thai sweet chili sauce. And it is simply delicious. I'm going to include a picture on our sub stack if you want to see it. Now, the next one is Edgemont Palace. Now, we're going further to the northwest near Shaganapi. And Edgemont Palace has, sometimes they have specials. At the time I was going, they had a December special for $4.95 on the small, medium, and large dim sum. But they also have a really good selection of dim sum as well. I had taken some pictures there as well. So if you want to see them, you can see them. I would like to point out that my favorite dish in there that stands out the most is their fried lobak go with exo. So exo, as you know, is that really crazy good umami sauce that is usually made with dried shrimp, dried scallops for that super umami punch with, you know, scallions or not scallions, but uh, shallots. And basically, they walk fry cubes of lobaco in this sauce, and it comes to your table. And the first thing that hits you is this aroma. 
So what I would really recommend if you go to Edgewon Palace is to order that dish. Don't hesitate. My last one is in Country Hills. This is in off Country Hills Boulevard near Panorama by the Landmark Cinema. And this is the Ginger Beef Country Hills. They do a really good dim sum as well. And it's great all around. It's very close to wherever you are if you are in that area. And of course, all of these other places that are in the suburbs and stuff are good because it's not Chinatown. And you're not, I'm not that I'm saying that I don't like Chinatown. I'm just saying like, if you don't live in the central part of the city, it's a great places. These are great places to go for dim sum. And usually these places are better for parking. Country Hills has good parking. So, I mean, ginger beef can't go wrong. Hey, my name is Liz. My top five picks for dim sum in no particular order because it's impossible to do so. Um, first, I would pick the tripe steamed with ginger and scallion. It's just the best. Um, second, I would pick wugok, which is this taro puff with this sort of feathery, crispy outside. It's filled with this really saucy ground pork, and like many dim sum, this one completely perplexes me as to how it comes together. Number three, la sabao. It's these salted egg yolk buns. They're dramatic, they're hot, and you can't do better than pillowy steamed buns. Number four is egg tarts. When they're good, they're so good. I have one tattooed on my arm. And number five is gong chao ao hua, which is the stir-fried beef noodle dish. This dish is the perfect dish to showcase good wok hay. And this one will forever remind me of my mama, my paternal grandmother. She told me once that when they were growing up, only the boys were allowed to eat the gong chao ao hua. Um, mind you, she was one of 13 children, so perhaps that was partly out of necessity of feeding 13 mouths, but surely it was also partly because of the cultural values as well. And so as part of her own redemption, she always orders this dish and ensures that all the grandchildren get some. So for me, this dish is a humbling reminder of the plentiful and equitable life that I now live because of the choice of her family to uproot everything and settle in Canada. You can follow me on Instagram at dimsumgirl with two underscores. It's inspired by the notorious MSG song, which you should take a listen to. All right, thanks. Liz used to work at the restaurant when she was going to school. And it's even more amazing now that she's my sister-in-law. Uh, in fact, as a bonus, we have this incredible family now that I love so much. Uh, I've been for dim sum with Liz's grandma, and I can tell you that it is such fun. Her usual spot is Bobby Chow's, but on the occasion that we got together, we visited Golden Sands. And basically, you walk in there, and the staff knows her like she owns the place. They get her chair ready. They take her coat off, and they fix her hair when she takes off her toque. And they chat like old friends. It's sweet, and it's so nice to be able to spend time with our elders like that. She always insists on paying and warns you that if you even try to pay the bill, that she'll never invite you for dim sum again. Her version of the Asian exit involves getting her walker and slowly making her way to the front of the restaurant while, quote, making a trip to the washroom. 
the grandkids all know what's up, but they never interfere, perhaps fearing that grandma will make true on her promise. She's a true delight. And really to spend time with her and her stories and all my sisters-in-law are so incredibly interesting and so much fun. And like I said, like, this is Yam Cha. This is a really great communal experience and it becomes a tradition. And to have such a great family tradition added to our own is so awesome. So that is it for our episode of Dim Sum. I hope you enjoyed it. And as always, please rate, review, and share with your friends. It would mean a lot if you did. And I also have a great show on kanji that we did on episode two, which is available now wherever you're listening. And I also want to add, like I alluded to earlier, that we started a newsletter on Substack that you can subscribe to with more of my written work in addition to reviews from this show and photos. You can find it at theaimlesscookpodcast.com. And I will include links to everything on the show notes. So my name is Jade Alcoro. You can reach me via Instagram at The Aimless Cook or email me at j at theaimlesscookpodcast.com. So be kind to one another. Happy New Year once again. Stay hungry and I'll see you on the next one. Peace. Peace.